Uh, I'll, I'm going to apologize up front. The TV in the background is not working for some reason. So if I keep looking over my shoulder, I just want to make sure that I'm on the right slide. And if it gets off, uh, it's okay to just be like, you're, what you're doing is not making any sense to what's back there. So, uh, <laughs> so just keep me in check. I will try to remember to do that. Um, so we have, this is Holy Week. This is the, the end of it, if you will, or we might say the start of it, the start of a holy year uh, in the sense that we have uh, gone through uh, Palm Sunday last week as Jesus is making his way into uh, Jerusalem. And uh, people are shouting, Hosanna, right? As they're making their way, way in, they've got the palm branches and they're, they're laying everything down for, um, for, for Jesus as he comes in on the, on the donkey and and uh, I don't know if it was that night or, or uh, an evening very close to soon after last week, but my five-year-old, I was, you know, saying goodnight to him, and, and he just said, Dad, I think it's so cool that Jesus rode into Jerusalem on a donkey and not on, like, really big horses. And I was like, where did that come from? I was like, yeah, that is kind of cool. You know, just the, the symbolism of, of just the lowly donkey. Um, and then they have uh, Monday, Thursday, Monday, M-A-U-N-D. It's just a Latin word. It was uh, for this new commandment I give you. And, uh, and so a lot of churches, not a lot, but a bunch around the country, this church, First Baptist, not Hope, but First Baptist Church, the owners of the building, they do a foot washing ceremony as Jesus um, bends down and, and says, I, I love you and I want you to treat others the way that I treat you. And so I wanna care for you in this way. And he demonstrates his humility as he washes their feet. And then on Friday, uh, all of our three locations met downtown Minneapolis and had a really just a great time. Uh, well, great. Friday, it's a somber, it's a serious, very serious service, but uh, really was, was good to gather together and see people I haven't seen in years. And, and to be able to do that with everybody was, was really good. And, and just to remember the sacrifice that Christ makes on the cross. But today, Today's Easter. Today's the, the, big, the big deal, uh, right? Earlier this week, is just like, you know, it's, it's one of those weeks where you're like, man, I, I don't know what I'm going to preach on this week. You know what I mean? Like, I just, what should I, maybe the resurrection. You know what I mean? Like, maybe, maybe that should be something uh, that we do. We're in the middle of going through the book of Ephesians. Uh, so we're taking a, a one-week uh, break on preaching through Ephesians as we look at um, the resurrection of Christ from the dead. Um, the title of this sermon is, Did Jesus Really Rise from the Dead? And I'm, I've got Luke 22 up there, but I'm going to have a lot of different passages. And, and the reason is, for, for years, last year I was on paternity leave, and so Paul, Paul preached. The year before that, I was in my living room uh, preaching with a rock band mic uh, on my computer. And so, so things have changed over the last couple of years. Uh, the year before that, I don't even know what we did. I, I mean, we were in the evening. You know, we had Easter at night. Like, who goes to church on Easter night? There might have been four of us here. It was a worship band and me. Uh, right? And it just, so, so I'm, I'm excited. Like, so I, just, I wanted to kind of think, what, what is it that, our, that I need? Uh, what is it that I think our church needs? And, and it's a, an, an apologetic, if you will. An apologetic just means a defense of the faith. It's not like an apology for my faith. It, it's a defense of the faith. And, and I think kind of one of the, the hot topic, hot button words right now floating around in our culture is this idea of, of deconstructing. And, I don't, and there might be people who might actually be in that, in that process of deconstructing, but there is a, uh, this is gonna sound, this is a weird phrase. There's an Anglican pastor that I follow on TikTok. Okay, it's a, it's a weird phrase to say, but there is. Um, and uh, there was one day where he was having his devotions in a coffee shop or something, had his Bible out. And someone came up to him and just said, man, Hey, you're, you're a pastor. Can you, can you believe all of the persecution uh, that the American church is going through right now? And, uh, and the pastor uh, just said, well, maybe, maybe the church isn't being persecuted. Maybe the church is just under review. And I think that's a really good way to look at it. 
Uh, it's okay to ask questions. It's okay to have doubts. Uh, one, of, one of the biggest doubters, not Thomas, Thomas in the Bible, yeah, he, doubting Thomas, he gets nicknamed, okay, not that guy, is John the Baptist. And John the Baptist, it said, is Jesus's cousin. And when John is in prison, he's about to get beheaded. And he sends some of his disciples to go to Jesus and say, are, are, are you really the Messiah? Are you, are you really? And, and, it's like, and he's like, I want you to go back and tell John. I want you to quote scripture to him. And I want you to tell him, I'm, I'm gonna set the captives free. And, and that's who I am, that I am the Messiah. And John ends up losing his life because of it. It's okay to have doubts. And so maybe, maybe for years you've gone along with the crowd, right? It's maybe culturally acceptable to be a Christian or whatever, but now the, the crowd is shifting a little bit. And maybe for the first time in your life, you're going, man, is this faith my faith? Or is it just cultural Christianity? Is it the house I grew up in? Is it the family I was just sovereignly born into that has made me believe in this Christian God? So I wanna look at this and, and and maybe you didn't actually believe that to be a Christian, you have to believe that Jesus rose from the dead, right? That's like, that's like the pinnacle of Christianity, that if I'm going to call myself an actual Christian, I, I actually literally, and I mean that word literally, I literally believe that there was a man who died and he walked out of his grave three days later. That's wild. So let's look at that this morning. So I want to look at four uh, possibilities uh, of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, kind of popular views. And, 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 then, and then why does this matter? What's the, what's the point? What, does this actually matter to me? Does, can I apply this when I walk out of here? Is there going to be a, a difference in my life? And I, and I hope that, that there is. The, before I jump into this, though, I want to look at some uh, Jewish uh, burial practices, things that had been going on for, for thousands and thousands of years, long before before Christ was crucified. Um, but uh, this is a, a relief, an image, and, um, and it just demonstrates, not, this is a, 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 an image of Christ being buried. But, but what would happen is that after, and this was, this was of, of Jewish tradition, the Sabbath was on Saturday, but it was, it was Friday night. It was sundown on Friday night until sunup on Sunday morning. It was, a, it was a longer, not just the 24 hour period. And so what would happen is if somebody died, um, they, they immediately had to be buried. It wasn't, uh, it wasn't the way in our culture where we have this embalming method. They didn't have that. Um, and so they were immediately uh, buried. And especially if somebody died on a Friday or a Friday night, it had to be done immediately because they weren't allowed to work on the Sabbath. And so that's what happens to Jesus, uh, that he dies on the cross. And there's a gentleman named Joseph of Arimathea that he, he says, Pilate, uh, I want his body. I'll take responsibility for it. And so he takes the body of Jesus. And what they would do is they would wrap up these bodies in clothes and they would intertwine um, uh, herbs and spices and, and, and lotions so that it, would, it wouldn't smell as bad. Uh, and so that was a, a really big aspect. And so Nicodemus in John chapter three, Nicodemus, he's a Pharisee of, uh, of, of Judaism. And he comes to Jesus at night and he's like, Jesus, what must I do to be born or what must I do to be saved? And Jesus says, you, you have to be born again. And he's like, well, I'm supposed to go, go back into my mother's womb. That doesn't make any sense. He's like, no, no, you, you gotta be born of the spirit. And that same Nicodemus then comes and he brings 75 pounds of spices. And so there's a lot of weight of just of the, of the wrapping, of the spices, of all the different things that are in the tomb. And I just want you just for a moment to think about the symbolism between his birth and his death. Now we have 
uh, Jesus, when he's born, that he's wrapped in swaddling clothes and he's laid in a manger, uh, which historically would have been a stone-cut manger so that the innocent lambs, when they were born, they would be wrapped in clothes and put into a manger so they couldn't jump around and scuff themselves and therefore become unblemished and therefore an unworthy sacrifice. And Jesus has symbolically done the same exact thing. And then wise men come and give him incense and frankincense, to right? And now you have it. Now, 33 years later, Jesus being wrapped in, in uh, swaddling clothes, if you will, wrapped in these cloths and then wrapped in spices and herbs and then he's laid in a rock. And so we can see right off the bat that he is born, born to die. So this is an image here of a tomb. This is a, ch- a typical tomb. And this is when you, when you have the word rock in, in our Bible, this is what it means. It don't mean a pebble. It doesn't mean a stone. It doesn't mean a boulder. It means like chiseled out of, of a rock, of, of, of limestone, of bedrock. And this is what this would have looked like. It would have been a massive tomb. And inside of it, there would have been a lot of chambers, a lot of different uh, beds or tables where you would lay bodies on. But Joseph had either just purchased this or just had this uh, built. This not this one. We don't know. We don't have like images of the real one of where Christ would have been laid. But, uh, and so, the, so would have, you go in, there's multiple little beds. And so Jesus would have been laid in there. And the reason for that is as their body decomposes, it, it stinks. <laughs> and so the tomb, this tomb that you would typically see, um, is just a temporary holding spot for the body to decompose. All right, I know we're getting a little gross here, but that's just what would happen. And then after a while, and so that's why people would continually go into the tomb, uh, visit the body, mourn over them, but continually put herbs and spices so it wouldn't continually smell in there. And then uh, they would then uh, take, go and collect the bones at some point, put them into a sarcophagus. Uh, and this is why Jesus tells the Pharisees, Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You are like whitewashed tombs, which look beautiful on the outside, but on the inside are full of bones of the dead and everything unclean. In the same way on the outside, you appear to be people as righteous, but on the inside, you are full of hypocrisy and wickedness. I'm not gonna necessarily get into what Jesus is talking about, but this is what he's referencing. He's referencing these boxes of bones that are beautiful. They're, they're painted white and they look fancy, but inside they're just full of decay. And that's, What's happening? So that's, that's kind of a little bit of, of Jewish tradition and how they would, uh, with burial practices. And so the first possibility that what I get, get into is that, they, that maybe the disciples went to the wrong tomb. Uh, that's one of the theories out there, that the disciples just got turned around. They, they maybe walked to the wrong tomb and they're like, wow, look, his body's gone. And, and now I'm not trying to be dumb here, but I could see if, if, you, you know, if, if you're familiar with the Bible, maybe not, but let me, let me just say this. I can actually see the apostle Peter maybe making that mistake, not gonna, just the little bit that I know about Peter. But I'll tell you this, I'm pretty sure the women wouldn't have made that mistake, okay? <laughs> Let's just, just be honest about that, right? They're coming uh, multiple times, herbs and spices. I got a feeling they knew where to go. Uh, and then when it says, when, they, when, the, when the women finally did come back and tell the disciples, hey, uh, he's, his body's gone. Uh, we've met some angels and they're like, he, he's not here. Um, and, they're, and, they, and they ran, Peter and John run to the tomb. They, they know where they're going. Uh, and so this just doesn't really hold up. And it's not like this is like a tombstone that we would think of. We could see it in a cemetery getting turned around and, you know, it's dark. It's, you know, morning. Where do I go? This is, it would have been pretty obvious. It's like going to a house. Uh, it would have been a very large entrance. This is actually um, Herod's uh, family tomb. And, and you can actually see the stone there. Um, they, they would kind of be in, in a track. Uh, they, they would kind of roll in like a, think of like a closet sliding, you know, track. It's kind of how they, how they worked and they would roll these large tombs in front of, of them. 
So that's the first one. It, it just doesn't, it doesn't hold weight, I don't think, I, the, that the disciples would have gone to the wrong tomb. Another one uh, that, that a lot of people have uh, visited is that the disciples stole the body. That, that Jesus had talked about this. And so the disciples were like, hey, we, we got to go get his body. Uh, no one's going to believe that he's actually the Messiah if he stays in the tomb. And so we got we to gotta go, we got to go get to him. And so uh, I want to just read here from Matthew chapter 27, 62 through 66. It says the next day, so this is the, uh, so on Friday, he, he, Jesus is, he dies on the cross. It's now Saturday. Uh, again, in Holy Week, what some people will call Silent Saturday. It's a time of mourning. Um, so one of the, the, uh, the one after preparation day, so Friday is going to be preparation. You get prepared for the Sabbath because you're not eating or cooking or you're eating, but you're not cooking anything. And uh, it says the chief priests and the Pharisees went to Pilate. So Pilate is, is the Roman general governor. He's in charge. And uh, he was the one that was responsible for crucifying Jesus, that they, they come to him and they say, hey, hey, Pilate, you need to kill this guy. And he's like, hey, I'm innocent of this. I'm gonna wash my hands of, of this blood, of innocent blood. And they go back to Pilate. So he's already been killed. And they go back to this guy, to Pilate. And they say, sir, they said, we remember that while he, Jesus, was still alive, that deceiver said, after three days, I will rise again. So give the order for the tomb to be made secure until the third day. Otherwise, his disciples may come and steal the body and tell the people that he has been raised from the dead. This last deception will be worse than the first, right? Jesus, they're, they're viewed, these are, these are uh, religious leaders who killed Jesus because they, they say he's committing blasphemy. He's, he's saying he's God and he's deceiving people. He's, he's doing these miracles somehow and it's not okay. He's gotta, he's gotta pay for it. He's gotta be put to death. And, but if, if his body's stolen, it, it's gonna be a greater deception than even what he was pulling off when he was alive. So there's gotta be something that we can do about this. And then Pilate says, take a guard, go and make the tomb as secure as you know how. And they went and made the tomb secure by putting a seal on the stone and posting the guards. There are soldiers, Roman soldiers that are posted outside of the guard that no one's gonna try to attempt. And if they do, there's gonna be a warrant out for them, but there's a seal put on it. Think of like a, uh, they, I don't know how they would have done it with wax, like a king's seal, but think of like when you get an electronic and there's that piece of tape on there, you know, and it's like a warranty void if, if you opened, right? Kind of one of those things, like you can't open this thing. If you open it, uh, then we're going to know this has been tampered with. And so they put all these precautions in place. These are the Romans and, and the Jewish leaders putting these precautions in place. And this is also uh, just uh, recounted by Josephus, a Jewish historian, um, and then the next chapter in Matthew 28, though, we see this. While the women were on their way, some of the guards went into the city and reported to the chief priests everything that had happened. So this is after the resurrection. Jesus is raised from the dead and, and the guards, right? They're, they're, they're knocked off their feet. Uh, there's these angels come and, and they don't know what's going on. And so they report, they go back and they say, hey, uh, these angels came, uh, they knocked us out and uh, Jesus isn't there anymore. So uh, that's what happened. When the chief priests had met with the elders and devised a plan, they gave the soldiers a large sum of money, telling them, you are to say, his disciples came during the night and stole him away while we were asleep. If this report gets to the governor, uh, we will satisfy him and keep you out of trouble. Because this would, have been, this would have been a punishable offense for the Roman soldiers to have allowed people to, to do exactly what they were there for, right? We're gonna be on guard so no one can steal the body. Oh, the body got stolen, okay? And so it's like, we're gonna, we're gonna vouch for you. You know, we're, don't tell anybody what you just told us. We're gonna pay you off. Um, uh, what is it, the non-disclosure? What is that called? Uh, 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 ND, what is that? That thing. 
Um, right, that happens. The soldiers took the money and they did as they were instructed. And this story has been wildly circulated among the Jews to this very day. And that's to the very day of when Matthew uh, penned these words. But that's still true to this day, that this still would be something that, the, um, that uh, people, any, anybody would say. Um, and yet the, the disciples stole the body of Jesus. And it just, it goes against what actually happened in the account of the Roman guards being there um, and what happened. So, but yet that was, the, that was the, the lie. That was the deceit that was told of the Pharisees to, to try to cover this up. The third one is that his uh, body healed itself. It was resuscitated. Uh, and it kind of got me on a, on a little rabbit trail of like, is this a thing? Does this happen? Like after a while, can somebody be brought back to life uh, on their own? Um, and the answer is yes. And what's actually kind of interesting is it's actually called the Lazarus effect. That when hospitals have no idea why somebody like woke up after being clinically declared dead, they call it the Lazarus effect. That's the man that Jesus brings back from the dead three days later as well. And uh, he walks out of the tomb and they're like, hey, we don't, we don't know how to explain this. Um, we'll call it the Lazarus effect because we got, we got nothing. Uh, and so it got me going on, on the, how is, when is this, does this happen? Not that often, as you can imagine, but it does happen. And, and then there's one on Wikipedia. I don't know if this is a true story or not. It was on Wikipedia, but I will just say it is for, for uh, argument's sake. Um, this is uh, Velma Thomas, not, this is her. I don't, I don't have a picture of her. Velma Thomas, 59 of Nitro, West Virginia, USA, uh, holds the record time for recovering from clinical death in May of 2008 Thomas went into cardiac arrest at her home. Medics were able to establish a faint pulse after eight minutes of CPR. Her heart stopped twice after arriving at the hospital and she was placed on life support. Doctors attempted to lower her body temperature to prevent additional brain injury and she was declared clinically dead for 17 hours after the doctors failed to detect brain activity. Her son, Tim Thomas, stated that her skin had already started hardening and her hands and toes were curling up and they were already drawn, right? Rigor mortis was setting in. And she was taken off life support and funeral arrangements were in progress. However, 10 minutes after being taken off life support, she revived and recovered, right? There's no explanation for that, right? Um, she, she had a Lazarus effect. Something happened where, who knows, right? Now, what's interesting about, about Velma Thomas is that she is in a professional hospital, <laughs> She's getting health care from people. She's getting fluid. She's probably got IVs. Uh, she's hooked up to life support, uh, fill in the blank. My guess is Velma Thomas wasn't whooped with a cat of nine tails 39 times before this happened. Uh, my guess is she wasn't stabbed in the chest with a spear and then wrapped in clothes uh, and buried in a tomb and then not 17 hours, but more like 36 hours wakes up. I just, it just, it, it's, scientifically, this doesn't make any sense. For someone to be in the state that Christ would have been in after coming down off the cross and then just somehow many hours later waking up and having the strength to get out, beat up a couple Roman guards and say, I did it. John chapter 19, one through three, then Pilate, this is what happens, right? In the story, uh, Pilate, the, the Pharisees come to him and say, you, you need to kill this man. And Pilate's like, I can't kill him. I, he has done nothing wrong. And he's like, to, to satisfy you and the mob, what I'll do is I'll, I'll have him whipped. And so Pilate took Jesus and had him flogged. This is a, a, a they called it a cat of nine tails. This is a whip that had nine different uh, uh, strings at the end of it of leather. But then at the end of it, they had glass and bone and metal shards as they would whip. 
uh, and they did it 39 times because to get a, a sentence of, of 40 times was a death sentence. And so they would do this up to 39 times, therefore there wouldn't technically be a death sentence. 40 was, we're gonna kill him. So they did 39. And they whipped Jesus 39 times with this whip. And then he, they put a crown of thorns on his head and they, and, they, and they clothed him in a purple robe to mock him. And they went up to him again and again saying, hail, king of the Jews. And they slapped him in the face. And then the, the image that I do have there is that Roman soldier that, as you can imagine, uh, being nailed to something, a cross, that, that what normally killed someone on a cross was asphyxiation. They couldn't breathe. And so every time they had to take a breath, they would have to put all their weight on those nails to be able to stand up and, and take a shallow breath and they'd go back down. It was constantly like this. And so again, it's Friday and the Roman soldiers know Jewish practice. They know that they need to be taken off of this before Saturday and so they can be buried to do their Jewish customs. And so what they would do if they were still alive is the Roman soldiers went to the other thieves in the cross and broke their legs so that they could die faster. So they couldn't stand up and take a breath. But they get to Jesus and they just say, this one's already dead. And to check that, they jam a spear into his chest and it says that water and blood pour forth. I can't imagine that Jesus just healed. His white blood cells got to work. You know, I just don't think that happened. Scientifically, it just falls short. So then what could be a possible, and what's another possibility? It's that Jesus actually rose from the dead. Like this... This happens. I'm going to read Luke chapter 24, 1 through 12, just the account of this. It says, on the first day of the week, it's Sunday. This, this is why for over 2,000 years, the Christian church has had services on Sunday. <laughs> this is why. On the first day of the week, very early in the morning, the women took the spices they had prepared and went to the tomb. And they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. And while they were wandering, wondering about this, suddenly two men in clothes that gleamed like lightning stood beside them. In their fright, the women bowed down with their faces to the ground. But the men said to them, why do you look for the living among the dead? I mean, what a line. You know what I mean? Like, angels are, are messengers of God on high. And God's like, he gets to, he's like, hey, hey, Jim and Joe, I want you to come here. I got something real special for you. Or you guys are going to go down to that garden. There's going to be some women and they're going to be really confused. I want you guys to come up with something good, <laughs> right? And they go down there and that line, why, right? They're, they're freaking out. What, where'd Jesus go? Is his body stolen? The soldiers, what's going on here? Why do you look for the living among the dead? What a line. He is not here. He has risen. Remember how he told you? While he was still with you in Galilee, the son of man must be delivered over to the hands of sinners and be crucified on the third day and be raised again. Don't you remember? He said this was going to happen. Oh yeah, I, well, we thought he was just joking around, you know? We just thought he was just an allergy. We didn't know exactly that he actually meant this. Why do you look for the living among the dead? And they remembered his words. And when they came back from the tomb, they told all these things, the 11, and to all the others, the disciples. And it was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary, the mother of James, and the others with them who told this to the apostles. But they did not believe the women because their words seemed like nonsense. And it would be, hey, we went to the tomb and... We saw these angels and they, they asked us, why are you looking for the living among the dead? And we were like, oh yeah, remember what Jesus said? Oh yeah, we, we gotta go tell. Yeah, you, you're crazy. That doesn't make any sense. That's not, that's not what happened. 
Peter, however, and John, they get up and they run to the tomb, bending over. He saw the strips of linen lying by themselves and he went away wondering to himself what had happened. He is not here, he is risen. So what? Why does this matter? C.S. Lewis once said, Jesus was either a liar, a lunatic, or Lord. It's a pretty popular phrase that C.S. Lewis, author of Chronicles of Narnia, a uh, pretty popular author, but he wrote this in his book, Mere Christianity. And, and, and in that book, he makes this phrase. He was either a liar, either he claimed to be God but wasn't, and it ended up getting him killed. His, he got his disciples in on it. Hey, I'm gonna do this thing. I need you to steal my body. Or he was a lunatic. Hey, I know I'm about to like get crucified, but I just wanna have the cosmic, gotcha, <laughs> right? Like he's a, he's, a, he's a lunatic, right? You are either a liar, you are a lunatic, or he's Lord. Or he actually did this thing, that he actually rose from the dead. I'm going to read kind of a longer passage of scripture here from 1 Corinthians chapter 15. The Apostle Paul is writing to his church in Corinth and, and he says some really remarkable things about the resurrection, about our Christian faith. He says, now brothers and sisters, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you, which you received on which you have taken your stand, and by this gospel you are saved. If you hold firmly to the word I have preached to you. What is that gospel? That there is a God who is good, and he created humanity in his image, but man, we messed it up. And we sinned, and we rejected God. We chose to rather worship the creation rather than the creator. And then God says, it's okay, I'm gonna take care of this, and I'm gonna take on flesh, and I'm gonna become a man, and I'm going to die for your sins, but I'm not going to stay dead. I'm going to rise again. And then if you put your faith in that, you believe. You have gospel. That's the gospel. You believe this. Hold firmly to the word I preach to you. Otherwise, you have believed in vain. For what I have received, I passed on to you as of first importance that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried and that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas or Peter and then to the 12. After that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters in the same, at the same time, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. And then he appeared to James and to all the other apostles, and last of all, he appeared to me also as one abnormally born. He just means that how he became an apostle, he, he, Jesus came to him in a, in a vision. This is what he's referring to. For I am the least of the apostles and do not even deserve to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace to me was not without effect. No, I worked harder than all of them. Not yet, yet not I, but the grace of God that was in me. Whether then it is I or they, this is what we preach, and this is what you believed. But if it is preached that Christ has been raised from the dead, how can some say that there is no resurrection of the dead? Right? This is the same argument that people in the first century were going, I don't know if I can believe this. That sounds crazy. He rose from the dead? And if that's the gospel, if that's part of the good news and you believed it, how can you say there's no resurrection? You can't say, well, science would say otherwise. I can't believe that. It just doesn't work. It, if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is useless and so is your faith. <laughs> what Paul is saying is if Jesus didn't rise from the dead, why are we here? Why am I here? This is 
worthless. This is a waste of time and space and energy. It's, it's absolutely pointless if Jesus didn't rise from the dead. More than that, we are then found to be false witnesses about God, for we have testified about God that he raised Christ from the dead. But he did not raise him, in fact, if he did not raise him, in fact, and the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, then Christ has not been raised either. And if Christ has not been raised, then your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. The only reason why Jesus can pay for our sins is because he defeats death and he defeats sin by walking out of the grave. That's the only way this works. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ are lost. If only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are of all people to be most pitied. If I dedicate my life to serving and worshiping this Christ, and if he didn't rise from the dead, I of all people should be most pitied. That's what Paul's saying. We of all people. This is pointless. We're deceived. We're wasting our time. He goes on, but Christ has indeed been raised from the dead and the first fruits among those who have fallen asleep for since death came through, the, through a man and resurrection of the dead comes also through a man. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive, but each in turn Christ the first fruits then when he comes, those who belong in him. Then the end will come when he hands over the kingdom of God, the father after he has destroyed all dominion and authority and power for he must reign until he has put all of his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. <laughs> it's only because of the resurrection that as a believer, when I go to a funeral, when I see death that feels so unnatural because it is unnatural, it wasn't meant to be that way. But when I see somebody in a casket, I don't have to mourn like those who have no hope. I don't have to, to weep like those who have no faith because I do believe in the resurrection. I have to, or this is worthless. And that's why the apostle Paul can cry out, oh death, where is your victory? Oh grave, where is your sting? It still hurts. <laughs> but Jesus wins. So what can I apply to my life this Easter knowing Jesus is alive? This is just something, and maybe just because of the text of reading that in verse 26, the last enemy to be destroyed is death because I still feel the pain of death. It still hurts. Uh, one commentary, his name's Hull. He says, the propensity of religions are to avoid suffering, to have light without darkness, vision without trust and risk, hope without an ongoing dialogue with despair, in short, Easter without Good Friday. There's a lot of people that just want Easter. They just want the good news. We just want to get to the resurrection, but the resurrection doesn't make any sense without the pain and the suffering. It doesn't make any sense without death and bloodshed. On Monday mornings, we have a, uh, a meeting with our pastors and, and a couple other uh, women on staff, and we go over our text, and, and uh, this week we're, we're all kind of doing our own thing, uh, just talking about the resurrection, but uh, pastor Core, he's the lead pastor of downtown, and he had a couple quotes, and, and, I, and I said, I was like, is that a, is that a, is that a Corsham Wesky original? And he was like, yeah, you can just say it. He's like, I don't, you don't need to quote me or anything. And I was like, if I say what you just said, they're going to be like, mm, plagiarism. There's no way Brian came up with that. I was like, I can't pull that off, bro. I was like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go ahead and give you credit. Uh, so Core, Core, though, said this. He said, between the defeat of death 
and the destruction of death, which, which is that's where, it's where we are. It's what theologians call the already not yet. Think, think of the Israelites. Think of Israelites in the sea. I mentioned this on, on Good Friday, the second service, if you're there. Um, that, and I've mentioned this here before, but if you were to interview uh, an Israelite, the Egyptian armies are, are pouring down. They're ready to kill them. You're to interview an Israelite and say, hey, how you feeling? What's going through your mind? They just say, I'm a, I'm a dead man. I have the Egyptian army. I'm going to be killed because the Red Sea's here. I'm in an immovable place. I'm dead. And then God provides a way. He parts the waters. They walk across on dry land. They get to their side. And you, you ask him again, hey, how you feeling? He said, I've, I've been saved. And, and we're going to the promised land, but we're not there yet. Right, God redeemed Israel and said, I'm gonna make you a promise to go to the promised land, but I'm not there yet. It's the same for us that we have been saved. We've gone from death to life, darkness to light, and I'm redeemed and I'm going to the promised land, but I'm not there yet. At some point, Jesus is gonna put every enemy under his feet, but we're not there yet. Until now, right now, we still suffer. There's hope and yet there's death between the defeat of death and the destruction of death. And yet, continuing that quote, the power of death is destroyed, but the pain of death remains. But what's amazing about Christ is that we have a high priest who is able to empathize with our weaknesses. We have a savior who knows what it's like to be human, who knows what it's like to experience loss and abandonment and depression and pain and suffering so that when we go to him in prayer, he goes, I know. I know how hard it is for you. I get it. I've been there. It's hard. But I'm here for you. I did it. So you don't have to because you can't. Only I can. So in gospel application, this is, again, something that people have been saying for a long time. So I want us to do that this morning. As I, as I say, he is risen, I would love for you to just shout out, he is risen indeed. And I'm going to do it. We're going to do it three times. And each time I want you to get a little bit louder. And I want you to, to think about this, right? And I know I, I didn't do, I was, it wasn't exhaustive in my apologetics of, man, there's other options of Jesus rising from the dead. But if this isn't true, don't ever come back. <laughs> I mean that. I really do mean that. This is pointless. And so today we can say, he is risen. He is risen. He is, he is risen. As we do every week at Lower Town, we have communion. And I, we're going to do that this morning. I'm going to actually read the verses that, that Paul and Jesus tell us to do as we remember what it is that Christ did. On Friday, I had the opportunity to have communion twice on Good Friday. And even in between those moments, between having communion at like 6.50 and 8.50, there were moments of weakness and failure and pride and defeat and envy in two hours. <laughs> and I get up there and I take that wafer in that cup and I go, I need this again. So here we are, just a couple days later, three days later, Christ is resurrected and I need to remember Core again on, on, on Monday. You're like, man, who's this core guy? I'm going to go to his church. <laughs> go for it. <laughs> he said this. He, he said it so nonchalant too, you know? And I was just like, man, what? <laughs> Did you just say that? He said this. You stand before God as if you were Christ. 
because Christ stood before God as if he were you. That's the good news of the gospel. That I stood before God, that I stand before God as if I were Christ wearing his righteousness, pure, blameless, holy, because Christ was condemned and killed on a cross to bear the weight of my sin. So he is risen. He is risen indeed, and I need to remember this resurrection. So we're going to have a chance to do that. So in a moment, the worship team is going to come back up. They're going to play through two songs. And we have the elements uh, up here on both sides. And feel free to grab that and a, a wafer that represents the, the broken body of Christ and the juice that represents his blood that was poured out for us. But he doesn't stay broken. He doesn't stay a sacrifice. He gets and he walks up out of the tomb and he leaves death in that tomb. And so all I would ask is that you're a follower of Jesus. If you're a follower of Jesus, I would love for you to partake of these elements with us this morning. You don't need to be a member of this church or any church. Maybe it's the first time you've heard the gospel. You're like, wow, I, I, I need that. I, I, what, a, what a fun day to come to Christ. Matter of fact, there's water in the baptismal if you want to get dunked today too. I need to change your clothes though. Let me read here what Apostle Paul says. I'll just read this and then the worship team will come up and play and then uh, feel free to partake of those elements as, as you see fit. The Apostle Paul says this, for I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he also took the cup after supper saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Let me pray. Father, I thank you that we don't mourn like those who have no hope. That we don't put our faith in a dead savior. We can't, it's pointless. So God, I thank you that we can Look to you, our God and Father, who took your son and took on flesh and died for our sins, but didn't stay dead, but he rose gloriously from that tomb, that he appeared to not just his disciples and close friends, but to 500 others to prove that this is indeed Jesus in a new body, glorified, sinless, perfect, worthy of honor, worthy of praise, worthy of us to put our faith in. And so God, I pray as we partake of these elements that we would remember, not just his sacrifice, but especially this morning on Easter Sunday, to remember that you walked out of the grave, that you are risen. So God, we love you and we thank you for this glorious day. It's in Christ's name we pray, amen.